marketers put a lot of emphasis on identifying an ideal customer avatar as a way to improve your content and your marketing. That's because understanding your potential buyers is important to selling. The problem is that knowing all of those little details about your target market can be overwhelming, maybe even impossible. That's why we're thrilled to share two alternatives to the customer avatar approach. If you've been putting off creating your own customer avatar, then you're gonna love the two strategies we're talking about in today's episode. Hey you, you're listening to the Messy Desk Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to achieve more without the overwhelm and drama. Because although business and life get messy, that doesn't mean things have to be hard. Join us as we help you cope with the chaos and banish your barriers so that you can move forward in your entrepreneurial journey. I'm Megan Monahan, And I'm Teresa Safali. Let's get on with it. Hey, Teresa, what is going on? Hey, Megan. I'm really excited about today's episode because I just hate the whole customer avatar thing. So, um, so I'm excited about today's strategies. Yeah, I am too. I mean, we know that today's topic is a common marketing roadblock for many business owners. And like you just said, we struggle with it. And guess what? My clients struggle with it too. So, um, it's just tough to identify a customer avatar. It's just that simple. And in case you're wondering, when we talk about a customer avatar, we're referring to the profile or the persona that you create to represent your ideal buyer. A customer avatar defines who you're selling to. The reason you create an avatar is to really understand the characteristics of the person who is buying your stuff. Just that simple. Understanding more about your prospects enables you to craft more effective and alluring marketing messages. In the end, that's going to make selling easier, or at least that's the concept behind the customer avatar. Oh man, I mean, I've certainly struggled with coming up with an avatar. I know how important it is though, which is why I devote time to getting clarity on it, but it's still really hard for me and frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you know, the concept of a customer avatar isn't a bad idea. It's got a purpose. Knowing who you serve is really important. When I'm writing for a client or working on their content strategy, I always ask who their ideal customer is. Identifying the person who is your target market is one of the very first steps you do when you start marketing your business. Actually, it's one of the first steps you do when you're starting your business. That's right. You know, your who does have a major impact on your overall business. You need to know who you serve and their struggles to create a profitable business. And of course, that affects your marketing too. Yes, exactly. Who your customer is and what they want very much directs your marketing and the content you create. For example, are you going to target prospects of a gold gym the same way you talk to potential residents of a retirement community? No. Of course you're not. Your target market or audience defines your marketing. It could even define your mission and the reason you're in business. The point is that knowing your customer avatar makes it easier to target your marketing efforts and achieve more success. So that's why there's this pressure to figure out who it is you're talking to. And that's exactly what I'd call it too, Megan, pressure. 
your avatar should be something that helps you down your path to lead generation and selling. Instead, you focus on defining all of these aspects of your perfect buyer, and that creates pressure and stress to get it right. It is pressure. There's so much emphasis on this perfect buyer persona. I mean, does this perfect prospect even exist? Because I don't think so. I understand that a customer avatar is meant to be a tool to direct your marketing, but I've grown to cringe at those two words, customer avatar. It's like that annoying pebble in your shoe, okay? And I think that's because of the advice we get from experts on this topic. This is definitely one of my marketing pet peeves. You know, I don't believe that there is one perfect prospect And I think that's why I have such a hard time with this type of exercise. I know that I'll never get it right. So I always walk away from, you know, a customer avatar activity feeling really unaccomplished. Yeah, the avatar exercise focuses on the small details of your customer's habits, demographics, beliefs, preferences, and even sometimes their physical appearance, like where your buyer lives, how many kids they have, what they read, what they eat, where they shop, (laughs) their values, and so on and so on. Marketers are obsessed with this idea of defining an avatar in this way. Now, assuming that you can actually accurately gather all of this data about your ideal customer, which you probably can't, I know I can't. So what? Is that data really going to move you forward in your business? Exactly. That's exactly it. It's the question I mentioned in episode 21 about achieving your goals. Will this get you there? Is spending hours on end trying to identify the perfect prospect really going to move you forward? Or is it something that just keeps you stuck? Don't get me wrong. There's value in knowing more about your customers. And if you know those minute details about your customers, great, more power to you. However, in my experience, most people don't know that information. So where does that leave you? Um, It leaves you confused, frustrated, and actually no closer to your goals. And you know I don't like that at all. I know it. You're all about setting and achieving goals. (laughs) (laughs) The problem with trying to figure out your ideal customer in this manner is that it's overwhelming to most business owners. It's difficult to put your finger on this fictitious person. And I'm not even convinced that knowing all of this information assists you in a way that moves your business forward. I think what happens is you search on Google for customer avatar. Find the over 723 million results most of which tell you to answer all of these extraneous details about your customers, and then you abandon this exercise completely. Yes, and then that busy work kills your productivity. It's so frustrating to set out to complete a task, though, and get nowhere. Like I said earlier, it leads to feeling unaccomplished, and that's never a good thing. Yeah. Well, I've got good news. In reality, you don't need all of that customer information to start taking action. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Good news. We all need good news. Yes, we do. (laughs) I'm going to share two strategies with you that will blow your mind. At least I think they'll blow your mind. And you'll see that you don't need to answer 200 questions about what your avatar eats for lunch or when they poop to be able to write more targeted content and improve your marketing. (laughs) Oh, well, thank God for that. (laughs) It just took a major weight off your shoulders. Am I right? (laughs) Yes. Yes, you are. 
I love these different approaches that you can do instead of defining your customer avatar. This is actually what I use for clients when they have no clue about their customer. And these approaches come in handy for blogging, sales copy, emails, video scripts, plus so much more. Okay, Megan, you've piqued my curiosity. I think you're going to love this, Teresa. First off, I need to emphasize that the strategies I'm mentioning in today's episodes are by two marketing geniuses, not me. And those two marketing geniuses are Bushra Azar from The Persuasion Revolution and Derek Halpern from Social Triggers. These two people are both experts in the psychology of marketing. All right, fair enough. You got to give credit where it's due. These are two separate strategies that you can use alone or together to improve your marketing, even if you haven't been able to define your customer avatar yet. I'll talk about each strategy and then how I combine them for my marketing. Hallelujah! Woohoo! <laughs> I admit, though, I may have modified the strategies a bit to fit my needs and my business, and there's nothing wrong with that. I encourage you to do the same. That's right. There's absolutely nothing wrong with using other ideas to come up with what works for you. As I like to say, you've heard me say it before, there's no one size fits all. Find what works for you and just keep moving forward. Okay, the first strategy is to define your customer's specific moment of worst struggle. Instead of focusing on defining your avatar, hone in on their WTF moment. That's what Bushra labeled it. Now, I know most of you don't know this, but Teresa and I are a couple of sailors when it comes to swearing, all right? Guilty. <laughs> but since we don't swear on the podcast, we'll just say that WTF stands for what the fudge, okay? Okay, that works. You know, chocolate is always the right answer. But, you know, I just want to state that it really is very difficult sometimes to not swear on the podcast. <laughs> and I just want to say if chocolate isn't the right answer, then you're asking the wrong question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me start with the visual to accompany this strategy. And this is going to take a minute, so bear with me, all right? Okay. Picture yourself driving down the interstate highway. You see your exit, you put on your right turn light, and you move into the off-ramp. You're driving on the ramp away from the highway, and suddenly, without any warning, you see that the road you're trying to access from the highway is closed. You have no place to go. You can't back up because there are cars behind you. You can't move forward since the road is blocked. You're stuck and you're in a total panic. There doesn't seem to be a way out. What are you gonna do? I've just described a WTF moment. It's what am I gonna do right now to get out of this pickle kind of moment. That's the point where your customer feels like there's no way out. They're flipping out. There's urgency to resolve the dilemma at hand. What will provide relief? The answer, of course, is your product or service, which gets your customer out of the moment and into a better place, which is exactly why you focus on the WTF moment and not the avatar, because that moment is the same across the board for whatever your customer avatar or persona is. That just makes so much sense. It does. No matter who you serve, the WTF moment is nearly the same for each person in terms of emotions and transformation. I mean, think about that visual I just used. 
it's really irrelevant who I am when I'm driving down the exit ramp and the road is blocked. My demographics don't matter at all. And that's the point. You solve a struggle for your target market. And you know that struggle really well, which means that if you know nothing else about your avatar, you know how it feels before, during, and after their struggle. And what your avatar cares about most is solving their problem. That makes the WTF moment a simpler, stronger method to craft your copy and direct your marketing, don't you think? Oh, wow. Yes, I love this. But I really just want to know, why have you shared this with me before? I mean, <laughs> this is absolutely brilliant in its simplicity. And it's certainly easier to identify those WTF moments than to figure out what type of magazine my avatar reads. <laughs> This strategy sounds like it'd be a much better use of my time too than to sit there answering 200 questions on a big giant PDF. Um, But okay, so now I can't wait to hear this next strategy. All right, on to the second strategy. In Derek's model for creating marketing messages, there are three different stages in the buying journey that people are in. That's informed, afflicted, and oblivious. The premise is that you market to people based on their level of awareness of their struggle. In other words, you adjust your marketing messages based on how much your prospect knows about the problem and the available solutions. You put aside the customer avatar and use these three stages of awareness instead. Let's talk about these stages a little bit more so that they make sense. The informed buyer talks about the people who are hyper aware of the problem. They know they have a big problem. They already know you and they know your competition. They've already done their research. They're what's called an educated consumer. The afflicted buyer is a person who knows they have a problem, but they don't know how to solve it. They are looking for answers. They want help. They're searching for the solution, and the afflicted buyer is the person clicking on an ad and typing questions into Google. Okay, the third group of people called the oblivious buyer, they have a problem, but guess what? They don't realize it. Now, obviously, since these people are unaware that they have a problem, they're not looking for solutions. They're not open to buying because they haven't come to realize yet that there's a need to solve anything. Now, according to Derek Halpern, this is usually the largest segment of most markets. Now, I absolutely love this approach because instead of marketing to the demographics of your target market, you're marketing to specific problems. And like I just said, you understand your prospects' problems better than you understand their demographics. So this sets you up for success more so than using the customer avatar method. Think about it. While your prospects and customers may share similarities in their demographics, they are at different stages in their mind. These buyers have the same pain point or problem, it's just that some are ready to make buying decisions and some aren't. So marketing on these stages means creating different messages for different buyers. This is gonna give you a huge advantage over the one-size-fits-all marketing that's so common with using a customer avatar. You know, I've never heard about this concept before at all. And it kind of surprises me that so many people are like, would be oblivious to the fact that they have any problem. 
it's just, I'm just astonished by that. Yeah. Um, but I can already see how much easier this strategy would be to creating your marketing messages. Yeah. I mean, either one of these strategies is going to give you an advantage over what other people are doing, but I really think like together, these are the one two punch and that's why I use both of them. First, you identify the WTF moment. Then you create content and marketing messages that address that WTF moment for each level of awareness. I'm still trying to get over the fact that you've kept this from me until now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this seems simple enough, right? The concept sounds like it would be ex extremely effective, but you know, it's still a lot to take in. So why don't you give us a real life example so we can see this strategy in action? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. So uh, let's say you're a chiropractor who specializes in, let's say, relieving back pain in men over 50. And let's say you're offering a free adjustment to get people in the door and more familiar with chiropractic care. You know that people who take you up on your free appointment turn into patients 50% of the time, so it's a solid offer. In this scenario, the WTF moment is lower back pain. More specifically, when your prospect bends down to put on his shoes, he suffers debilitating lower back pain. Because of that pain, he has to take sick leave and he can't pick up his grandbaby. The heating pad, ice, and ibuprofen, they just aren't working anymore. And he misses doing the things he used to be able to do before his back pain began. I see what you're doing there. You're identifying the problem and giving it some context. And even if the person reading this isn't a man over 50, they'll probably be able to relate to the description of the problem. Exactly. You've got it right. The more description and context you give your problem, the more persuasive and influential your content is. Yes, my back's hurting right now. As you know. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> All right. Now for the buyer stages of awareness. For the sake of brevity, I'll create a headline that you could use for, the, for a blog post title or maybe like a subject line of an email around this WTF moment. And just for a disclaimer here, I'm not sure these statements are actually accurate or true because, as you know, I'm not a chiropractor. <laughs> and she doesn't play one on TV either. <laughs> right. So this is really just for example purposes only. Okay. So for an informed prospect, you could use a title or subject line such as, why choose chiropractic instead of yoga for relieving your back pain? Remember that an informed buyer knows he has back pain and he's researched solutions. So you get very specific about both the problem and the solution in this headline. The WTF moment is back pain. The solutions are yoga and chiropractic care. Now, an afflicted prospect knows they have a back problem, but they don't know how to solve it. They don't necessarily know about chiropractic care. You catch an afflicted buyer's attention by talking specifically about the problem and more generally about the solution. So a headline or subject line could be something like, this joint movement improved my back pain in a week, or improve your back pain without expensive drugs or invasive surgery. Again, the WTF moment is back pain. The solution is joint movement. Then I fancied it up a bit in that second headline by mentioning a solution that isn't used. In other words, expensive drugs or invasive surgery. 
right? Because that appeals to a possible objection the buyer has. That's so smart. They may not want to use drugs or surgery, but then they don't know really what a chiropractor does. Exactly. Spot on. Now, the oblivious prospect knows he experiences back pain, but he doesn't believe he has a back problem. His back pain is not front and center in his mind, and neither is chiropractic care. In fact, he may never have even heard of a chiropractor before. So you've got to go like much broader in your message to uh, avoid any objections this potential buyer may have. The headline or subject line could be, do this one thing to eliminate your back pain or improve your back pain with these five movements. That's just genius. So the WTF moment stays the same, but the reference to the solution changes based on where the person is in their journey or what they're aware of, right? Their awareness. So whether they're a hot, warm, or even cold prospect, really. Yeah, exactly. You change language based on who you're targeting. Now, I mean, these are just headlines, so you don't really get to see the WTF moment in all of its glory. (laughs) If you're writing longer content like sales copy or a blog post, you can incorporate more of the WTF moment into the language and into your content. But hopefully these examples give everyone a little piece of what could be in the grander scope of their content and marketing. I do think these examples were helpful to understand the strategies better. So thanks, Meg. Good. I'd hear that. It probably takes some practice to get used to thinking in these terms, though. Yeah, I think it does take practice. But I will say this. These strategies give you a beginning framework or a process for content creation that's fairly straightforward and not nearly as complicated as the avatar model. No. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you can jump right in to create your content and marketing messages without having to come up with your perfect customer avatar. And that is really the magic here. It is a little magical, isn't it? I really like that there's an alternative to the traditional customer avatar exercise. Um, Businesses get to move forward in their marketing without the burden of understanding every little aspect of their potential buyers. I also like that these strategies concentrate on problems and solutions rather than on demographics. I mean, that just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like you pointed out, all of your prospects could be very different demographically, but their problems and struggles are similar. And you can use that to your advantage. Incorporating the levels of awareness into your marketing seems like you could deliver more customized content and messaging. And more targeted marketing means more effective content and higher conversions or sales. That was very well said. Thank you. (laughs) I think marketing is easier with these strategies and your results will hopefully be better. So the big question is, should you forget about creating your ideal customer avatar? No, I I don't think you want to completely abandon the customer avatar exercise. Darn. (laughs) Oh, drat. (laughs) I mean, those little details do help you attract more targeted prospects and it helps you to talk to them. And knowing some of the demographics helps your advertising. So there is value in setting some parameters around who buys your stuff. But look, if you're struggling with figuring out who your target customer is, then the strategies we discussed today are effective alternatives. You can revisit defining your customer avatar later if you choose to. So I want to know, how do you feel about it, Teresa? Well, I really, I want to say that I'm sad 
that it's still valuable to produce your avatar, but I do understand why, right? Kind of knowing where they hang out and certain aspects about their demographics helps you find them. So I get it. And I also think that, you know, if you've been procrastinating around identifying your customer avatar, now you have absolutely no excuse to do it, right? So at least you can start here. So block out an hour or two and spend some time brainstorming those what the fudge moments <laughs> to get started. And then you can come back and work on applying copy to each level of awareness. Don't overthink it. Just start. That's terrific advice as usual. <laughs> All right, everyone. That's it for this episode. A big shout out to Derek Halpern and Bushra Azar for sharing their brilliance with the world. Don't forget to visit our website, MessyDesPodcast.com, for our show notes and links to the resources we mentioned in the episode. And if you feel like being a kind, generous human being today, please share this episode with a friend and leave us a positive review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Messy Desk Podcast. Bye, Bye. everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the Messy Desk Podcast and leave us a review. We're interested in what you're interested in. So email us at messydeskpodcast at gmail.com with your topic suggestions and questions. And most importantly, stay messy because that's where the growth, progress, and magic happen. Avaturd. Avaturd. <laughs> I'm renaming it to Avaturd because that actually is really accurate. I did an exercise this morning and it shows. Maybe that mouse needs some cheese. <laughs>